What happens when a Canadian executive next in line for the top spot in a multi-billion dollar consumer packaged goods company ditches his suit and tie and takes a leap of faith to help build one of the most iconic race brands in all of endurance sports, Ironman North America? On today's podcast, I spoke with Ted Kennedy about his role in the early days of Ironman, the creation of CEO Challenges, and now Achieve Racing, through which he has brought hundreds of executives together to cross epic finish lines around the world. So if you're ready, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to Faster Forward. I am your host, Troy Bousseau. This is a show where we sit down and talk with some amazing people from the endurance community, age groupers and Olympians, adventurers and explorers. We discuss their successes and failures about falling down, getting back up and never, ever quitting. While it's not always about finishing, it is most definitely about starting, getting on a journey faster forward. What's up, Ted? How are you doing? I'm doing just great. Good to... uh hear from you and see you again likewise i wish we were i wish we were able to see each other in person but the the, uh, no. the hangout we'll have to do these days i think exactly cool so we have ted kennedy here on the athlinks podcast today um ted your your resume frankly is too long for me to list so why don't you just um give me 30 seconds of uh, a quick little bio you are your accomplishments are wide and frankly pretty varied so we'll hear from you yeah 30 seconds. Okay. Uh, I spent 20 years in consumer packaged goods for Quaker Oats and Best Foods in Canada. Um, many different positions, moved around the country a lot every time I got promoted. Started triathlons in the mid-80s, met a guy named Graham Fraser. Graham purchased the rights to Ironman triathlons in the United States in 1999, and he somehow tricked me into uh, quitting the corporate world and uh, joining his startup in Lake Placid. And uh, we launched our first Ironman Lake Placid race in 99 and then uh, added Florida that year. Then the next year, California, Utah, Idaho, you know, Wisconsin, it went on from there. And um, while with Ironman North America, I started the thing called the CEO Ironman Challenge where we took fit CEOs all around the world and had them race Ironmans. And, geez, I mean, I could just go on forever here. But uh, <laughs> That's a great intro. Uh, That's a great start. Yeah, eventually Lifetime Fitness bought uh, CEO challenges, and uh, now I'm kind of semi-retired. Good for How's you. How's that? Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect intro to that. Uh, it's funny to think about the little startup of Ironman. <clears throat> yeah, I know yeah. it was. We had no idea that it was going to turn into the monster that it did. Yeah. We thought... You know, it's funny. We thought we would do four races in North America and cover the four corners. So we had Penticton, Ironman Canada, mm -hmm. and we had Lake Placid, and then we added Florida and California. And we thought that's got to take care of all the demand for that's Ironman it. racing forever. Yeah. Boy, we were wrong. Yeah. Why would you ever need another race? Exactly. Yeah. Ironman is so thought. interesting in that they, they sort of started with their championship and then they built around it, which I thought was always kind of a, a yeah. accidental but cool thing. Um, yep. so, so you mentioned 20 years in CPG, consumer packaged goods. Um, let's take us a, a little bit even before then. So you were, um, you were a pretty accomplished uh, runner in your own right in high school and, and collegiate ranks in Canada. Um, your daughter has spilled some of those beans and you, you gave me a couple of, uh, anecdotes. One of the things that, um, that your daughter was telling me was that the, uh, the cafeteria closing before your workouts were over, 
And uh, which I thought was funny because the the story that came from that was she said you were the fastest Canadian uh, fueled only by Kraft macaroni and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I think she might be right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's so different now. Uh, I went to the University of Guelph just outside Toronto and, you know, ran competitively for them. And our workouts would start at five o'clock because a lot of guys had labs and stuff that went till five o'clock. It was uh, we, most of us were doing science degrees. And so we train at five o'clock in the dark and we'd be finished, you know, showering and everything else by seven. But the, you know, the residence uh, halls, the cafeteria is closed at 630. So I was eating craft dinner and grilled cheese for dinner, uh, you know. <laughs> and now I went back to Guelph about 10 years ago. Now when they're finished their workouts, they're handed the perfect meal for them, the right mix of carbohydrates and protein and private. We're cutting out a little bit. Did I get you back yet? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're back. <clears throat> yeah. Well, but you know, let's be honest. They're no faster today than they than you were back then, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> that is true. The high school times are the same as the times I was running back then. The university times are probably a little quicker, but high schools, yeah, you know, a four fifteen mile was very competitive back then in high school, and it still is now. Yeah. I mean, uh, we even had some guys run sub four minute mile, well, the equivalent fifteen hundred equivalent in high school, and same as they do now. So yeah, even though it was in the seventies, it still hasn't gotten that much faster. Yeah. And a matter of fact, if you look at marathon times, oh my God! I mean, uh, you, you you could run a, a two twenty marathon and finish in like three hundredth place, yeah. whereas now that'll get you in the top fifty or so, maybe. Yeah, it's amazing how it's it's the 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 mass participation has um, has affected the, the sort of the elite times in that regard. So, um, what year did you graduate high school then? So, what year was this around? Uh, nineteen seventy. Okay, so nineteen seventy. Uh, yeah, so seventy to seventy, you know, five roughly seventy. Uh, well, sorry, seventy. Wait, sorry, high school seventy to seventy five. Back then, we had five years of high school and. Mm. Canada, believe it or not, grade 13, which sounds so weird now. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then 75 to 79 at Guelph. Okay. So when you, you, you leave college, you, um, did you, did you continue your, your level of fitness or like, were you, were you still kind of around the sport and as you went oh, into yeah. the CPG? Okay. No, I was trying to, uh, while I was working, I was, I belonged to a track club called Boardwalk Track Club in tr East End of Toronto. And we were very competitive. We were the number one ranked club in Canada. Mm -hmm. And we had uh, boy, a guy named Paul Williams who went to five Olympic Games. I mean, we had guys that were 28-minute 10K runners on the team. I mean, I was a 30-minute guy, and I was probably the slowest on the team. Wow. But we went to national championships a bunch of times. But none of those guys had full-time jobs. I was the only one. And, oh, my God, it was exhausting. It was yeah. so hard to work a full day and then come home and have to try to do your workout. and. Uh, so that lasted a few years, and then I just couldn't keep up the pace anymore. Okay, but you didn't leave. You didn't stop racing. You you continued to train and race, and or yeah, you? I mean, I I work out. I have for fifty years now. I've worked out almost every day. Wow. Um, yeah, doing one thing or another: swim, bike, run, ski, roller ski. You know, <laughs> something or other. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's been uh, quite a ride. I I don't know. There's no way I would be as successful as I have been without being able to train every day and get that release. And, and more than that, the, the thought process, uh, 
oftentimes Graham Fraser and I, when we were trying to decide, okay, where's the next race going to go? What should we do about sponsorship? We'd say, let's go for a run. Mm. And typically 35, 40 minutes into the run, the answer would appear to us. It was crazy. It happened yeah. every time. Yeah. And, uh, and I found a lot of people have said the same thing. When you're exercising, I don't know what happens. The uh, neurons operate better or something. Yeah. And you uh, quite often can think, you can just think a lot clearer. So you just said that you wouldn't have been as successful without training. I took that to mean successful in running, but but what you meant literally was in, in life and in business. Oh, in business. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no question. The, uh, you know, the release of uh, when you've got a big issues, being able to relax while you train is one thing, but just, yeah, the, the, um, the clarity of thought that comes to you when you're, when you're fit and working out, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So you went, you went into consumer packaged goods, you, you remained fit, you kept, continued to race, you were, uh, I'm assuming you said 20 years, so <clears throat> climbing the ladder and, and, uh, uh, achieving different levels of success. How big is the CP? I know Chicago and kind of the Midwest is the place to be for uh, CPG, um, how big yeah. is that in Toronto? And, and, you know, did you have to move around or were you, how did that work? Yeah. So I, I was started off with Quaker Oats uh, out of school and, uh, you know, as a sales rep downtown Toronto and, you know, calling on all the grocery stores in Toronto. And then got promoted and moved to uh, Vancouver in 1980, uh, 1985. Okay. Yeah, Vancouver was there a year, then got promoted to Peterborough, Ontario head office for Quaker. And then got promoted to Halifax to run Atlantic Canada for Quaker. And then got promoted to Toronto to run Ontario region for Quaker. Oh. And, and then I left Quaker and went to Best Foods, which is, you know, Hellman's, Canor, mm -hmm. uh, Skippy peanut butter, all those really healthy, you know, mayonnaise. You know, I sure. probably killed a bunch of people, but <laughs> I feel horrible now. But <laughs> anyways, and I got, I uh, eventually made my way to be vice president of Best Foods Canada. So. You know, the best foods worldwide was probably about a $5 billion company and the Canadian division was around five or 600 million. So, okay. you know, good size. Yep. Um, Married at this right point, up, kids at this point. Yeah. So uh, one daughter, oldest daughter was born in Toronto in 84. The next daughter was born in Vancouver in 87 and have a son born in Halifax in 90. So we got okay. every coast covered and in between. So Perfect. three kids and they, you know, obviously traveled around with us and had to go to new schools and, you know, make friends all over again. So a little bit rough for them, but at yeah. the same time, I think it really helped them come, you know, come out of the shell and, and learn how to adapt uh, to new situations. And, yeah. you know, they're all very successful now. So that's great. Yeah. So passion wise, you've, you're racing, you're training on one, on one hand. Um, we'll leave family out of it for a moment. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got your job in CPG, you're climbing the ladder. Was it, was it equally split? Did you feel like there was a void on the professional side or was that kind of feeding your soul as long as you had the running on and triathlon and stuff on the other side? So I was, I started triathlons in, uh, 86 in Vancouver. Then I moved to, uh, Ontario and, um, got involved with the Subaru triathlon series that Graham Fraser uh, was in charge of. Actually, the largest triathlon series in the world at that time. I mean, it was, triathlon was hugely yeah. popular in, in Canada and especially Ontario. And so I was, I loved doing that. I mean, I was able to run maybe three times a week 
and then bike Saturday and Sunday. And that was it. That was all the training I could get in maybe six hours a week sort of thing, but still was very competitive age grouper and, uh, you know, finished the top three overall in a few races. So with, I loved doing that. And when I met Graham, I was like, Oh my God, you're so lucky. You have found a way to make a living, you know, with triathlon. I was, yeah. it's just, to me, it was incomprehensible that you could be passionate about something the, the thing you're most passionate about in life that you could actually make a living at it i was so jealous and uh that's why when he got the rights to iron man usa he said hey uh, remember you were saying that uh, <laughs> you were just here's your chance yeah. put your money where your mouth is yeah here's yeah. your chance to, to prove how'd that you, how'd you guys meet um we were a sponsor i worked for with quaker gatorade was one of our big products and gatorade sponsored his series so uh, I used to get a free entry to uh, any of his races. So um, and obviously being one of the, I'd represented Gatorade at the races, and so we got to meet that way, and we just became you know great friends uh, over what was that like fifteen years or something like that of, yeah. of me doing his races. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm reading uh, of all things Matthew McConaughey's book right now called Green Lights, and he talks a lot about green lights, meaning those opportunities that you take advantage of that, you know, that you, you, you don't wait for the, you know, you don't wait for the next opportunity, you jump on it. And so that the chance meeting, uh, with, with Graham, the probably expressing your, your admiration, I guess, of, of his life professionally and, and how that's blending, um, on the racing side opens up a big opportunity for you. Uh, probably your biggest opportunity, um, I think, soul wise, right. Um, yep. craft and, you know, all of those things are, are, are fantastic, but now all of a sudden you, you see this window to crawl through that can combine your, uh, personal and professional and, and I guess hobby life together. And so, uh, yeah. you get this opportunity. Um, I assume that's, um, you got to run that past the wife. Uh, that's a big oh, yeah. decision uh, given your position in the company. That was not a small opportunity you were foregoing at, no. uh, no, yeah, it's uh, you're you're bang on. That was uh, probably the greatest sales pitch of my life. Um, <laughs> it, it, honestly, because I don't know how Graham tricked me into this one, but the opportunity for me was to leave Best Foods. You know, great job climbing the corporate ladder. As a matter of fact, when I told him I was leaving to join Ironman North America, the uh, worldwide president flew up and met me and said that you don't know this but we were just about to fire the president of the canadian division and make you president i said oops <laughs> <laughs> so i mean that so anyway so i went so, to my wife and i said okay there's this opportunity here with iron man and uh i would really like to do it and she goes what's the pay i said there is no pay it's 100 percent commission if mm -hmm. i sell something then we eat okay is there health coverage no there's no health coverage car no stock options no none of that bonuses no none of that and she says, all right, go Sounds ahead. Sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and honestly, I said to her, I said, I'll give it a year. Yeah. Um, if I can make enough money to feed the, feed the you know, family and try to put the kids through school, then um, we'll stick with it. If I can't, then I'll find a job in package goods. It'll be yeah. easy, uh, given the, the success I had on that. And uh, luckily, well, and I, she went along. And I have to assume, uh, you know, today, Iron Man is a near household name. Uh, certainly yeah. if you're 
if you're running triathlon uh, cycling guy, uh, it's certainly a household name at the time. So what year was this? This was 99. 99. So Ironman yeah. was known. You had the, I guess, wide world of sports. And, you know, Kona was sort of a, um, a I mean, it was known, but it had to have seemed like a far off uh, fantasy oh, yeah. land, right? It, it was a startup. There's no question. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, we had no, there was only four of us that started Ironman North America. And um, we, like, we had no idea how big it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, we thought if we had the four corners of, North America covered, then that would, that would, as I said, you know, take care of everything. But the, the incredible thing was WTC, World Triathlon Corporation, which owns Ironman, uh, they had a president at that time that said there will never be an Ironman race in the United States as long as Kona is there. I only want Kona to be the, uh, the only race in, in, in the U.S., the only Ironman. Mm. And then Luke Friedland came in as president. And the first thing he did was phone Graham and said, okay, I want to expand in the United States. Let's get going. And, yeah. uh, and so Graham put together, he had a team of two guys that worked for him already, uh, Chris Gadansky and Lyle Harris. And that's when he approached me and said, I need a sales and marketing guy to, to help sell sponsorship and market Ironman to the masses. Yeah. And he said, uh, how would you like to, to join us? And that's how that all happened. So with the, with the decision at the time, no U.S. races other than Kona, was, it, was that the model around the world going to be was one per country with Kona being the culminated championship? Or, or, was it, or was it because Kona being the championship limited the U.S. to one race? It was because Kona was the championship limited it to U.S. I mean, there was obviously there was New Zealand, Canada, Germany. Those were all big races. Uh, Brazil, you know, um, Australia, you know, those, those were all great, very successful races, but in the U S I don't know why I'm not sure what the decision was, why they, why they said, no, if we're only going to have one race in the U S it's going to be Kona and that's it. And uh, boy, that was the wrong decision as it turns out. (laughs) Well, good opportunity for you, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you looked at the four corners there, I mean, the markets that you described there, uh, certainly make sense. Florida, California, um, Lake Placid. Where was the fourth? Oh, Kona. Canada, BC. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So what, at the time you mentioned big triathlon series. I remember the Bud Light series. There's, there were a lot of big series at the time on the triathlon side. That was before oh, yeah. I got into it, certainly. But um, how certain were you guys on the Ironman side? Now, may, you know, maybe it's, you can or can't make a business out of it, but the demand for triathlon and and long course, uh, Ironman distance triathlon, what was the, um, what was the certainty that that was going to be adopted or like, did you feel like four races was going to be too much, too little? Where, where'd you guys feel on that? Well, we started off with one. Uh, I mean, other than Canada, Canada was, was a given and a very successful sold out every year. And so that was kind of the model. Graham had figured out, uh, how to make Ironman really special. Through Ironman Canada, I think he'd owned it three or four years by then, and they had great banquets. Um, you know, the reputation worldwide was that Ironman Canada was probably the best run Ironman outside of Kona, and so Lou wanted him to take that concept to a race in the United States. And Graham uh, discovered Lake Placid; he'd never been down there. He he actually had planned to to go to Burlington, Vermont, and New Hampshire, and you know, all over, but. Started off on Lake Placid and struck a deal right away there. And um, so when the 
he didn't even ask me to join. We didn't start talking about it until entries went live. I think it was like early, early in 99. Okay. And immediately it almost sold out. Huh. And that's when he was like, oh my God, this thing's a rocket ship. We had no idea. So that's when I got involved. When I, once we knew that it was already going to sell out. And what, what um, did the, um, the entrance, the, so where were the athletes coming from? Was it pretty local? Was it spread out? Where, where, what were you guys yeah, seeing? New York, yeah. A lot of New York city okay. for sure. Uh, a lot of the big metropolitan areas, a lot in Montreal and Toronto. Um, as I say, triathlon was really popular in, in Ontario and Quebec. And the only Ironman they could go to was Penticton. So now it's like, oh my God, I can drive to Lake Placid. That's fantastic. So it was, it was the Northeast uh, for sure. Okay. I mean, some people traveled, but it was mostly Northeast. And that's when Lou Friedland said, well, you know what? This thing's almost sold out. It's looking like it's going to be really popular. Let's get one in Florida. And he said, we have the Gulf Coast Triathlon in Panama City Beach. Maybe you guys go, could go down there and figure out how to turn that into a full Ironman distance. And we said, yeah, okay, we'll get going on that. And, you know, it'll be great to do it. And maybe, you know, spring 2000 said, no, I want it this year. I want it in 99, November. And we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this was in like July. We're like, oh my God, we can't, we can't find a full Ironman course and market it. And, but he said, I don't care, get, get on it. it. So we did. And that one sold out too. So. And so the four of you are, you know, you're um, selling out is one thing. But as you just said, finding the course, making sure it goes off on, you know, without a hitch yep. are the four of you. Um, so like, tell me about, I guess your first race morning or, you know, whether it's the start line or the finish line of you, you feel like you've put it all together, but obviously there's a thousand things that can go right or wrong on a, on a race day. Yeah. I have a, a great story on that. And Graham and I have said, if either of us ever writes a book, uh, this will be this, this, this will be in it the night before the race. So it's about midnight and we know we have to get up at 3 a.m. the next day, but there was so much to do. Is this, sorry, is midnight, this Graham and I are, Oh, well, sorry, Lake Placid, okay. August, yep, first 99, August 14th. He and I are rolling out the carpet for the finish line. <clears throat> we saved that to last because as usual in Lake Placid is raining and we didn't want the carpet to get too soaked. And he had spent the last of his money, you know, he dipped into his own pocket. He spent the last of his money to bring these huge stands, you know, uh, aluminum stands from Montreal. They brought them down, set them up down the finish line, you know, enough for maybe a thousand, two thousand people. Mm -hmm. And I remember he, he turned to me and he goes, what if no one shows up? I said, what do you mean? He goes, what if we have the, I think it was eight or 900 athletes, but what if nobody comes to watch? And he goes, I got all these stands here. I spent my last dollars we got this carpet. We got this beautiful venue. What if nobody shows up? Well, the next morning, we'll go down to the race start, and there must have been five to 10,000 spectators wow. lining Mirror Lake. And a really cool scene that none of us will ever forget is uh, the high school music teacher was singing the national anthem. So Mike Riley, of course, introduces her seven, you know, 6.55 a.m., She's singing the anthem, and you can't even see the lake. It is just covered in fog, and the clouds are covering it. And anyways, as she hit the last few bars of the national anthem, honest to God, the clouds parted. <sighs> <laughs> the sun hit her no. and the American flag. Like, the sun just shone and hit her and the flag, and we got goosebumps. 
and we turned to each other and we were all bawling our eyes out just wow. kind of like crazy the fog lifted at that exact moment the cannon went and that was the start of the ride come on what an omen wow that oh, was fantastic yeah, it really was it was really cool really cool moment never wow. forget it did the weather hold yes yeah, it, it turned out to be a beautiful day yeah, it was a really spectacular day. We've had some ugly days in Lake Placid with crazy rain, but that was probably the most spectacular day of, of all of them wow. that I recall anyways. Yeah. It's amazing to think about like, what if people didn't show up or what if the clouds yeah. didn't part and, you know, it was a nasty rainy day. Is there a second one? Is there a third one? You know? Yeah. Well, we had the second one already in the bag by then. We had uh, um, Florida, but if, if no one had showed up, if no specters had showed up, then honestly, we would have nothing to sell because what I was selling was the, the, you know, back then it was 800 athletes expanded to 1500 athletes. Yeah. I mean, but that's pretty small market. Uh, I mean, no Ford's not going to care about 1500 people at a race. What they care about is the 10, 12, 15,000 people who are at the race and the 200,000 that are, you know, somehow touched by the athletes who are doing the race. That's what they're interested in. So yeah. that allowed us to sell to sponsors is the fact that, no, I mean, there's only a thousand athletes, say, but there's going to be five to 10 to 15,000 spectators that will, you know, be able to sample your product with Kellogg Smart, yeah. Smart Start Serial or Janus Mutual Funds and the charity challenge that they yeah. set up. You know, it was, uh, it became, uh, it, it was the opportunity we had to sell it. Mm -hmm. And as you know, and Anybody in the event business knows, probably a lot of the people listening don't know, you don't have sponsorship, you don't have an event. Yeah. The, the entry fee covers the cost of putting the event on. It yep. doesn't pay the salaries, keep the office going, you know, allow you to, to do the cool things. It's the sponsors, the sponsorship that covers it. So, um, and yeah. luckily, we were able to land some big, big sponsors in the first year and two, and that's what drove it. Yeah, that's a great point. We've talked a little bit with some other folks during the COVID um, situation and, you know, whether it's even the races that haven't been canceled, but in the beginning, just the lack of or the loss of sponsors or the, you know, these, these, a lot of these races, as you said, the entry fees kind of cover your costs and then it's the difference between profitability on a sponsorship. So we always right. really encourage people to, you know, if nothing else, reach out, really thank the sponsors. You know, we, you hear their, the names, the, the sort of commercials throughout and, um, whether you think that's, you know, annoying or, or whatever it is, is, is you need to support the people that are supporting you. And in, uh, in so many cases in, in the events, if you see a sponsor out there, um, even if you're not, you know, a, a a customer of theirs, certainly reach out, thank them on socials and, and just kind of give them a big thumbs up for helping the endurance community. Well, there wouldn't be, we wouldn't, there wouldn't be events without sponsorship. So yeah, bottom line, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So then fast, fast forward a few months, you've got, you know, obviously more butts than seats in, in Lake Placid, Florida. Did you, how many seats did you guys arrange for there? Yeah, that was good. I think we had a thousand athletes the first year and okay. sold out. We wanted to keep the numbers manageable. And honestly, we didn't know at that time how many uh, bike bikes could fit on the course. You know, obviously, we didn't want to have a draft fest, which Florida's kind of turned into. But mm. we were trying to keep the numbers low so that there wouldn't be drafting. We didn't. We wanted people to have the ultimate experience. So that's why we capped all the races at fifteen hundred in the early days. It was a thousand yeah. uh, or less, just to make sure it was great experience. But then again, we had you know five to ten thousand spectators show up standing on the beach. 
you know, hearing the anthem, waiting for the uh, yeah. cannon to go and the sharks to disappear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned Draft Fest. For those of you who have not done a triathlon or certainly an Ironman, is the, you're you're required? Is it three meters behind the next yeah. bike? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So on yeah, a flat two bike, bike, basically, yeah. Yeah. So on a flat course like Florida, where you don't have hills blowing the field apart, you, it's very. Uh, in some cases, it's hard not to draft. Frankly, it's it's you know Absolutely. some people's just you know if they're going a half mile faster than you or slower than you, it's it's tough to pass. Um, you have a requirement to pass and things like that. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you're, you're now what, about six months into your new career. Um, uh-huh. you, uh, you've made some promises at home in terms of, yep. uh, you know, you got to make some money, you got to make this thing yep. work. Uh, was Placid the, the, the deal maker was Florida. Was it, were you still unsure at this point? So I, that's my wife and I, we had agreed to give it a year. Okay. So, I started in May of 99 and early June, um, I knew the president of Kellogg's Canada and he set up an introduction to me for the, uh, the um, marketing people in um, Battle Creek, Michigan, where Kellogg's worldwide headquarters was. So I drove down there in the little minivan <laughs> and I met with those people and they were launching a cereal called Smart Start. Mm. So I came up with the idea of, well, why don't you sponsor the start of the race, the swim? And, uh, I mean, God love them. They bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Right. And they became the uh, swim sponsor of all of our Ironman North America races. And the, the swim boys were Kellogg's Smart Start. And we handed out tons of samples to the spectators. And the feedback was fantastic. And um, so for the first two or three years, that uh, was Kellogg's Smart Start. And then... I was able to sell Janus mutual funds okay. uh, on an idea called the, uh, with Casey Cortese, on an idea called the uh, Janus Charity Challenge, which become, became hugely popular, raised an incredible amount of money for, for various charities. And I also sold HSBC Bank, uh, become a sponsor. So that was it. Those three combined made enough to, for me to feed the family and pay the mortgage. And so that, uh, that, that allowed me to keep going. And then yeah. from there, it just took off. Wow. Did you, did you, I mean, would you have predicted at that point that you would finish your career in the, in the industry? Cause you've, you've worn a lot of hats and gone through some different companies and we'll talk about that in a minute. But d- did you yeah. think at that time, like how confident were you that when you took that leap that 20, 30 years later, you would still be kicking around the industry? Yeah. I, because once I got a taste of it, there's no way I was going to give it up. Mm. Um, there's no way I could go back to packaged goods or corporate world. Once I got a taste of the freedom, like that, I'll tell you, the, the amazing thing was, as I mentioned to you, um, Graham and I'd be in the office and we'd be spitballing ideas and he'd say, well, let's go for a run. And I was, it was so weird to be, wait, in the middle of the day, yeah. like yeah. <laughs> you're actually allowed to go outside and <laughs> ride a bike and go for a run that, while working yeah. like that to me, I, I'd get fired if I did that in any of my my corporate jobs, but that was, you know, that was how he lived his life. And it yeah. was like, Oh my God, once I had a taste of that, there's no way I was going back. It's tough to give it up. Yeah. So no matter what happened, I was going to find a way to, to stay in the industry and thank yeah. God I did. You know, it's interesting. We we've seen a lot of, um, of the opposite where people get into the industry and that, that becomes the thing where they race less, they train less, whether it's, old hat to them or what, whatever the reasoning is. So, um, 
when you were, you know, gathering employees and you were growing the business, did you tr- actively bring that into the culture or was it just by, by example? Um, no, I mean, we hired a guy, for example, named Shane Facto. Uh, he was our, our uh, media guy. We hired him in Lake Placid. He worked for the Lake Placid Daily News. I mean, little tiny newspaper. And he was not an endurance athlete at all. He was a wrestler. Um, he'd try to come for runs and bikes and swims with us. And, you know, he'd sink to the bottom of the pool and he you know, couldn't keep up on the others. So, uh, but he understood, you know, the lifestyle. And yeah. interestingly enough, Shane's still with WTC. And now he's the chief operating officer of WTC worldwide. Mm. So, uh, so he stuck with it, obviously, and, yeah. and did extremely well with it. But, uh, no, we just looked for the best qualities in a person. We didn't, that's the one thing is, is uh, you, you didn't hire people because they were good athletes. Right. We'd hire people because they were good people and, and had smarts and acumen and understood business. Yeah. Yeah. So you're two races in now. You're, yeah. you're seeing, uh, maybe not that, well, there's no end of the tunnel at this point, but you're certainly seeing a path to success. Um, yeah. you mentioned earlier, you kind of felt like four North or four us events was that's the sweet spot. You're never going to be able to outgrow that supply, right? There'll never be well, more demand. That would, that would look after all the demand. We figured there's no way. I mean, four races might even be a struggle for North America. You know, we figured that would, that would cover all the demand, but Every race we launched, California, when we launched at Camp Pendleton, sold out instantly. Mm. So then we went to uh, Utah, and we had a very ill-fated race up there, Mm. pretty much a disaster, but that sold out instantly on the BYU uh, campus, and uh, Wisconsin, again, sold out instantly. So we started looking. It's funny, Graham and I, we, we would go to a lot of places and meet with the uh marketing boards for the for the different cities and stuff and a lot of people wanted ironman races but we couldn't find courses we tried three different times to put a race into austin texas and we just couldn't figure out a way to get the athletes on the bike out of town and back again safely um you know same with louisville a bunch of places where there are races now we tried to get races in but we couldn't we couldn't find a course that we thought would yeah over deliver and delight like Coeur d'Alene did, uh, you know, stuff. We couldn't find the Coeur d'Alene's around, around the United yeah. States. So, uh, yeah, I mean, every, one, one could argue you kind of put Coeur d'Alene on the map. I don't know that I've ever heard of Coeur d'Alene other than I never had. Yeah. I'd never heard of it. And then they put a bid into us. They got a hold of us somehow. They had a race up there. They had a pretty decent triathlon up there, uh, for years and years and years. And whoever headed up that triathlon convinced their board to uh, put a bid in or at least send us a note to say, come up and see it. And I'm going to Graham. I don't know what Coeur d'Alene is. Like. <laughs> yeah. And besides, we said it's too close to Penticton. There's, we'll, just, like, we'll just take away from yeah. uh, Penticton. We'll, we'll split the, the difference. And, and boy, we were wrong. Yeah. I mean, both sold out. Yeah. <laughs> but, so anyway, thank God. Yeah, Coeur d'Alene. What a, that, that's the kind of, Coeur d'Alene, Lake Placid. You know, those are the places that we were looking for, destinations that, were kind of smallish towns, but had lots of lodging because that's incredibly important. Obviously, when you have five or six or ten thousand people yep. coming in to watch the race, and that had beautiful, clean water. That's another uh, criteria, and quiet roads for cycling. You can put a marathon on anywhere. That's right. the easy part. 
Yeah. I mean, we proved that in Wisconsin. That's uh, in Madison. That's the easy part. The hard part is finding nice, clean water and quiet roads for cycling and that a way to get in and out of uh, wherever the transition area is. So, yeah. Um, and, and they're tough to find, uh, but I think we did a pretty good job finding those. And same with Tempe and yeah. Arizona. And yeah. Yeah. You just mentioned, speaking of courses, you, you mentioned Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a really, I always hope Tempe would sort of turn into that because, because Tempe skirts Arizona state campus, yeah. but it didn't yeah. go through it. Whereas no. Wisconsin, the frat and sorority row, the Greek row has become oh, such God. a key yeah. element so, to, to that race. Yeah. I would give the, the people of the, with the Wisconsin, uh, tourism board, a lot of credit for that. They, they promised us everything we asked. We said to them, we want to finish with the state building, state capital building in the background. They said, impossible. We cannot do it. Mm. There's no way to do it. We said, okay, well, we're leaving. Oh, okay. Hold on. <laughs> if we host it at the convention center and we turn everything around, then okay, you can have that. We said, we want to go through campus. Oh, I don't, we got to deal with, anyway, they figured that out. Yeah. We said, we want to run through Camp Randall Field, you know, where, we're, where the Badgers play football. Yep. We want to run through that as part of it. We think that'd be really cool. And everything we asked for, they, uh, they delivered. But That's I'll tell right. you, a, Funny story about that is, um, you know where the swim is, and there's that uh, the convention center, and the bike transition we knew had to be on the roof because we couldn't of, of the parking garage. Mm-hmm. We knew there was no way to get any other layer, and we at first looked at putting the bikes on the grass where the swim exit is, but that could only hold seven or eight hundred bikes. We we figured there was no way to get any more, so. We're looking around and looking around and we're saying, man, that's too bad. You know, this is such a great location and, you know, riding out to Vernon and all that was just fantastic. And, and then Graham said, well, what if we made the athletes run up the helix <laughs> to, the, to the parking garage? And we're going, are you crazy? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Now, look at that. That's the best part of the race. Yeah. Yeah. Is running up the helix with the fans all the way, you're yelling and screaming all the way up. Wow. Did, did you get, worked. were you getting feedback at the time? Like, did you run it past any athletes or did you, who, how did you win the, well, not win the argument, but how did you decide on that? If it seems it so crazy. No, it was just the four of us. And, and, and the race director that we had, you know, working for us out there. And, uh, so the group of us would, would, you know, we would, I mean, Graham and I drove seven or 800 miles trying to find that bike course. And then, you know, we had the, uh, the thought of, okay, well, let's do like a lollipop, go out in a two loop around. And I think the town's called Vernon, right? Where they have that festival. And we figured that would be a cool spot. You could, people could bus out there, cheer on their athletes and come back and, and see the, the race. So it was really just us. It was it, nothing scientific about it. Um, you know, yeah. we, we were athletes, we rode the course, we ran every inch of it, you know, yeah. mostly Graham and I trying to figure out what would be fun and what, you know, try to put a bit of a challenge in with a hill every now and again, and then running along state street. We insisted on that because we knew that the bars would be packed and that'd yeah. be hilarious. And then finishing with the state Capitol building in the background. Man, that was, yeah, that's how it worked. It was nothing scientific. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, there's, I mean, certainly a vision though. That's the, I, I think yeah. again, you know, if you're not around these things, it's, it, you know, you, it, like looking back on the founding of Iron Man, it's easy to think that Iron Man has just always been there, right? It's such a core piece of, of our business, but thinking, you know, like 
going back and reliving some of these moments where you literally had to dream this stuff up and how do you, you know, how do you, you don't want to make it feel like a novelty, obviously you want to make it feel like a, you know, well-structured race, but at the same time making it, you know, super interesting. But that's, I mean, that's how Ironman started in Hawaii in 78, right? It was a combination of the Waikiki ocean water, open water swim, which was already existing 2.4 miles around Oahu bike race, which was already 112 miles. Mm -hmm. And then the Honolulu Marathon course, which was already 26.2. So, yeah, that's really, I mean, it's the same sort of thing. And then once they outgrew Oahu and moved it to the Big Island, they kept the distances the same. But, yeah, you're right. It's really uh, whatever, whatever the environment offers to you, you have to find a way to make it work. And it worked for a long time in Honolulu. And then, well, not a long time, two or three years. And yeah. then they realized, oh, oh boy, this mm -hmm. isn't going to happen anymore. Yeah. So at this point, you are... Um what a, do, uh, what, a dozen or so races in the uh, U.S. at this point? If you include the half, the half, yeah. well, 70.3s are called now. If you include the, uh, the halves, we were, I think, 10 or 11, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Utah had, had fallen by the wayside, but other than that, yeah, it was Coeur d'Alene, Arizona, yeah, and then some halves. So was the first uh, Utah, was that originally in Provo, you said? Yeah, that well, and boy, what a shame. God, we had the best course out mm. there. I mean, the, the water in the lake was okay, but it was clean. Uh, <laughs> the bike ride was spectacular. I mean, we went out to, uh, um, I can't remember the name of the, the resort, but Sundance, I think it might have been called. Anyways, uh, it, it was a spectacular mm. bike course with, you know, mountain passes and everything else, just like Penticton. And then the run was beautiful and finished on the track at BYU, that gorgeous blue track with mm. the football stadium behind it. But the morning of the race, I don't know if it was fate or whatever happened, but that uh, storm came up, no clouds, just a windstorm with mm. no warning whatsoever. And as soon as Mike Riley said, bang, you're off, this storm hit and just, I don't know if you know the story, but splintered the race apart yeah all 1800 people were thrown up onto the rocks on shore i mean the, the the lake is so shallow that the waves were 10 12 feet high in some places so we stole as many boats as we could from the marina went out there rescued as many people as we could and we figured oh my god there's going to be dozens of dead people that's the end of our business we wow. are done i mean that's the end of iron man there's after this it'll never happen again and uh Unfortunately, one fellow did pass away, John Bolin, um, but uh, it could have been so much worse. Yeah. So we tried it again the next year. Exact same thing happened. We said, okay, just done. we don't understand what's going on here, but uh, obviously we're not meant to be. The gods and did so not want we, you there. We moved on. I guess not. I don't know. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah, I remember seeing the video and, and hearing the stories and stuff. I. Oh. Terrifying. For some reason, I always put that in in St. George. I just always thought the I thought that was the sort of permanent location. I didn't realize no, that it was, was in Provo. It was, it was Provo, uh, yeah. It was uh, like almost downtown Provo. Got it, got it. And so we're uh, you're looking around the. Um, you had mentioned in Lake Placid, you saw a lot of people from New York City coming up. So yeah. the at the time, I remember reading a couple of articles about you know triathlon is the new golf. I have, right. uh, I have been, um, I've been to a couple of your CEO challenge events. And so did you start to kind of see a pattern there in terms of who was participating in these events? Were you seeing a lot of executives or how did you put, uh, yeah, so I, I used to do a pretty good extensive search on the database. And back then, if you ask people 
what their job was, they, they listed it. Now, I don't even think they ask anymore because people make up all kinds of crazy answers. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, people really did list if they were a CEO or president or chief operating officer or something. And I noticed that it was about 10% of the field were CEOs, presidents, and so on. And I thought, boy, it'd be great to find a way to get this group together just because it'd be really cool to meet, you know, for the CEOs to meet each other. They probably don't know there's, you know, fellow CEOs racing. And also, selfishly, I thought I could pitch them a sponsorship potentially, uh, which did actually work out incredibly well, by the way. But uh, so that's when I came up with the idea for the first CEO Ironman Challenge in Lake Placid in 2001. And we had, uh, I think, 20 or 25 that first year. And uh, boy, it was so popular. It was just rave reviews. The guys, the CEOs loved it. They loved the fact that they got to meet fellow CEOs. And they loved the fact that we looked after all the issues for them. I had um, Paul Howell and Rock Fry and Paula Newby Fraser were on site as their hosts sort of thing. So, I mean, here they are seeing the royalty, the queen of Kona. You know, it is yeah. the host for the weekend. We put them up at the Mirror Lake Inn, you know, nicest resort. We arranged everything for them, VIP passes for their family. Uh, we arranged so that their family could get in the finish shoot and put the medal on them as they came across, which was obviously really special. And, and uh, it just took off from there. So I ran that in Lake Placid till 2005. And then I left Ironman North America. And I took that concept worldwide with a license from WTC. Got it. Okay. So we, before we get to worldwide and global expansion, let's talk about just the concept here. So CEO challenge, what are they, were they challenging each other? Is this a race within the race? Was it more yep. of a networking thing? Was it hybrid both? What Describe CEO I, challenge for those of you, for those of the listeners okay. who don't know. Um, this, the CEOs would sign up with me. First of all, you had to be a CEO of a company that did at least a million dollars in annual gross revenue, Okay, which, which is not huge, but it kept out the guys that were you know, were professional coaches or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> and what they enjoyed about the reason they signed up with me is first of all, because once Lake Placid started selling out in, you know, seconds, I held back 30 slots. So they, they knew they could get in the race with me. They knew I would have a hotel room for them at the nicest resort. They knew that we were going to have, you know, some incredible dinners, chances for them to network. Uh, Simon Lessing came the year he raced Lake Placid as our as our host, so they got to meet these like Uber triathlon celebrities and get to know them. And then the reason they kept signing up year after year is because they really enjoyed meeting the fellow CEOs. And you know mm -hmm. what? It's funny. Um, I, I went to Ironman uh, Boulder, I think it was two summers ago to 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 watch that, and two of the CEOs that did it in two thousand one. I didn't know each other, both from Philadelphia, raced Ironman Boulder, what, 2018 together. Mm. They're still best friends. Wow. Their families do everything together. So a lot of these guys made lifelong friendships with fellow CEOs. Could you think of it? They share two things automatically. They're running a company, which is a very lonely thing often when you're the, the only guy, the big guy at the top, and they have a passion for Ironman. So instantly, we open the doors. 30 of these guy, you know, guys and girls come in to the room and the chatter is off the roof because they all are talking either triathlon or business or some mixture of both. And so that, that's really why the business took off as much as it did because the networking, the, the business that was done, I've, I've, I've seen 10, 12, $15 million deals go down 
you know, over dinner, yeah. <laughs> sitting at a table going, wait, I want a commission on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, it's wow. quite something. Okay, and so you've got, you've got a, a room full of probably type A, uh, oh, yeah. alpha men and women oh, who yeah. are very used to, uh, you know, dominating a space, getting, getting what they want. Uh, yeah. they're now going to square off against one another in one of the world's toughest races. And yeah. so are these, um, how much of, was there a palpable level of competition between these CEOs? Obviously some were probably super fit, others not. Um, how, how did the, um, how did the level of competition break down? I'd say a quarter to a third of them were going for one of the Kona slots. Cause that's one of the other great benefits we had was the top two, I think back then got to race in Kona. They, they qualified through the CEO challenge. So probably out of the 30, 10 of them thought they had a, a shot at it and five legitimate were really competing against each other. But the rest of them, honestly, you know, they just wanted to finish the Ironman in under yeah. 12 hours and, or under 17 hours by midnight. They didn't worry too much about, you know, competing against each other, but they just really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed each other's company for sure. So I got to assume a lot of these folks running a running a business, uh, you know, all of the other things. It's not, you know, Ironman is not a an hour a week type of training regimen. Did you were you seeing? Uh, I mean, were these part of like a sabbatical? Were they fitting it into their lives? What What did you hear a lot about in terms of how they were able to fit in Ironman training yeah. with running a business? That was the question I was asked the most by media. I mean, we had uh, a lot of interest from New York Times. Uh, Washington Post, uh, you know, did articles on the CEO challenge because that was a big question is like, okay, how can these guys run a company, oftentimes a multi-billion dollar company, and train for an Ironman? And the answer, the answer is really boring. They get up early. They get up at 4.30 in the morning. They get their workout done by 7 and they're at their desk by 7.15 sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So they just, yeah, they, they fit in whatever training they could, but they did it early, super early in, in, in the morning. And some of these guys were just naturally really gifted a guy like jamie mcguire with philadelphia insurance company i mean he would have maybe eight hours a week to train but the dude was good he was fast he was like a 10-hour iron man mm. um on less than 10 hours uh, of training wow. or or dan king with ready talk or scott binder with comcast i mean those guys were all 10-hour iron man guys and just barely had enough you know scratch the surface of training top age groupers would be 20 hours a week and these guys would all be seven or eight hours a week. Yeah. And, uh, but they were, some of them were just really good athletes. They were gifted. Well, one of the responsibilities you have as being a guest on the athletes podcast is to set up the next, uh, guest. So maybe one of those guys will come on and tell us how the heck they did that in, in eight hours <laughs> in some cases. Yeah. Well, I think, I think Dan King would be a great one. He's uh, he won our CEO endurance world championships at Blackberry farms. Uh, which was the most competitive CEO race I've ever put on. I only invited people that qualified for Kona before. And it was 30, 25 actually turned out to be 25 of the fastest CEOs in the world, for sure. And he won that. And then he also just set a world record for age over 60. He ran a 446 mile. So uh, I would say Dan King would definitely. Wow. And he's from Boulder. Yeah. He'd be, a, he'd be a guy you'd want to get on for sure. Well, we'll definitely set that one up. So you've got, um, so your, your time with, uh, uh, with Ironman, you've, uh, I would assume the CEO 
challenges side is becoming a bigger and bigger part of your um, your professional life. And now you are, did, did you, did you know you wanted to take that out? Or was that something that just the, sort of the business dictated? You know, when uh, the, the expression, when, when one door closes, oftentimes another door opens. Um, I was having a dispute with uh, WTC and Ironman North America over uh, Ford sponsorship. Mm. And uh, I, I wasn't enjoying the way that it was going. It, you know, I, it took me two years to land Ford as title sponsor of Ironman uh, Kona in North America. And uh, uh, I, I didn't like the way the discussions were going regarding the sponsorship fee on that. Mm. So I said, you know what, I, I, I don't need this. Uh, I'll go start up my own thing. And again, went to my wife and said, what do you think? And she goes, <laughs> you can feed the family and pay the mortgage. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Give it a shot. So I left. Better track and, record coming in into the conversation yeah, this time, at least. This time a little better, but still starting out on my very own. And, you know, that, that's that stuff. I mean, I, it's, I was the only guy in the company. It was just me. And uh, I had luckily had a license with WTC with Lou Friedland. Uh, to do the CEO Ironman concept worldwide because uh, they really loved it. They loved the press they were getting, a very positive. You know, Business Week was writing articles, front page of Newsweek sort of thing. And uh, so I, I said, okay, well, if I'm going to do this thing, now is the best time to do it. So in uh, May 2005, I took Ironman, the CEO Ironman Challenge concept worldwide and, and formed CEO Challenges LLC. Got it. And so we're, um, I know that you expanded beyond Ironman then, um, uh, race across America was, was one of the events that, uh, yeah, that, that's a little, uh, getting a little ahead of ourselves okay. again. <laughs> I had, a, I had a dispute with, uh, Ben Furtick, who was the, uh, president of WTC and, okay. uh, he wanted the CEO Ironman concept himself and didn't want me involved anymore. So he took it over and called it the executive challenge, mm -hmm. I believe, but mm -hmm. basically the identical, identical sure. concept. And so I was left with nothing. Um, so I started to look around the world and say, okay, uh, now that I can't do Ironman for CEOs, what kind of cool events would CEOs like to do that are Got incredibly it. hard to get into? And I could, I could cover off the pain points. I could make it easy for these people to... Uh, uh, to do the race easier than if they try to do it on Got their it. own and race across America is a perfect example of that. I mean, you know, eight different people trying to uh, hire a bus and mechanics and staff and yeah. all the logistics, a ridiculous amount of logistics that go into racing across the country at 20 miles an hour over five days. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a, bike, a race. bike race takes off from, is it San Diego or Oceanside. Santa Monica? Oceanside. Okay. Oceanside. Uh, Oceanside. <clears throat> and then uh, up to New Jersey, right, is where the finish line is. And it, it used Atlantic to, City. now it's in Annapolis, oh, Annapolis, that's right, Maryland. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Um, and 3,000 miles, just a little over 3,000 miles. 3,000 miles, all on bike. Yep. Ridden as and, a, uh, is it like a one, two, four, or eight person relay, essentially? Exactly. It's a one, yep. two, four, or eight. And uh, I opted for the eight, um, figuring that, you know, the CEO again isn't going to be able to train you know, put in much more than maybe a hundred miles a week. So to ask them to, to four man might be a little bit too much. So, uh, started with the eight man and, and, uh, that was, it turned out to be the, the, the best choice by far because then these eight people bonded, like yeah. you've never seen. Yeah. And we had great success came forth the first year 
second the next year and then one the, the next two years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, we really got the formula down to, uh, to perfection with, with Race Across America, for sure. Well, and I've got to assume, I mean, that is not something like, you know, I mean, a, a Ragnar or something, you know, s- similar concept, much smaller um, course, et cetera, something that you could probably grab a minivan and, and work out the details kind of as you go. But, r- you know, riding a, uh, driving an RV, towing, yeah. I would assume each each person has to have their own bike. I mean, you can't really oh, share God, yeah. your yourself bike. set up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you're, you're towing a bunch of bikes, uh, what's yep. a typical eight person like when you let's say when you won how many how many days did it take you uh five five days well i'll, I'll let you it's it's interesting the, the the logistics behind it i went to a guy named george thomas and george is the uh, he's done race across america he's won it uh tandem and he's the announcer for for ram he's lives here in boulder i went to george and i said okay if, if money was no object how would you put together the ultimate eight-man team. He said, first of all, I'd hire a coach bus, like a rock star bus that sleeps 12. He goes, and I would get eight staff, and you got to get two mechanics. He said, I'd get two follow vehicles and a fully tricked out sprinter van. Whoa. And that's what we did. And we, Shauna Organischuk, my daughter, mm-hmm. uh, she took one team of four, and I took the other team of four, and her team took off, and we said, we'll meet you 220 miles down the road in 10 hours. So we would obviously pick out a place ahead of, I mean, we had every inch mapped. Yep. And I would drive the Rockstar bus with these guys sleeping, hopefully, in the, my four guys and my four staff sleeping in the bunks. And we'd meet Shauna's team after they just did, you know, 220 miles in 10 hours. And, uh, and we'd do a switch, and like instantaneous switch. We wouldn't lose any time. We'd have the guy come down the road, the next guy off, and we would go, and we'd go 220-some-odd miles down the road, and then we'd do the switch again every 10 hours. So the key was we, we often got beat in the first two or three days through the desert and uh, up into the mountains. But by the time that we hit Missouri, Maryland, you know, the crazy hard hills mm. uh, in the Appalachians, we would always, you know, take the lead or be up near the front because our guys were getting eight hours sleep a night. Yeah, you know, in these rock star buses, it was it was <laughs> phenomenal. And we had, you know, the mechanics had the bikes just working perfectly. We had a follow vehicle with high beams on behind the riders. Um, it, it, was, it was the logistics were, were were ridiculous. It took us probably two to three months to get it sorted out beforehand, but it sure was worth it come uh, come race week because we always did so well and. Never made a wrong turn, which is incredibly rare with Race Across America. And that's how most teams lose it. They'll be 200 miles off course and go, oh, damn. Yeah. We must have missed a, yeah. <laughs> a turn back there. But we had guys that were great map readers. And my son actually was, he has the whole course memorized. Uh, huh. And Shauna does too. And uh, yeah, so never made a mistake. And that really helped. Wow. So how much, how busy were you guys? How long did it take uh, you and Shauna and, and the team to map this out, get all logistic logistics together. Uh, was this something that was taking up a few months of your time getting ready for this? Or we, we would start in January. Okay. Um, I start recruiting the CEOs in uh, you know late in the year before, and then by Jan Feb we'd know who the eight are, and then we'd start to hire the mechanics and uh, and get arranged for the buses and. And the uh, sprinter vans and the follow vehicles and the staff and the team and the masseuse and the chef and 
bus drivers. We just get all that organized. It took us about six months because uh, the race always was June 21st, the longest day of the year. So mm. about six months every year to plan that out. Wow. That had to just been so amazing rewarding yeah. as you as you you know kind of put that one on together and, and again it's, it, anything can happen in those races you know whether it's a wrong oh, yeah. turn or a crash or something else so um, yeah yeah we had a few crashes but uh everybody was able to get up and dust themselves off and keep going again and yeah i mean went went through lightning storms hail storms snow storms 120 degree you know yeah desert in arizona well you know what it's like in arizona I in do. june i do <laughs> Oof. But it's a dry heat, tough. Ted. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the, I'll tell you the interesting part that your uh, your listeners might find is that we we got it down to the point where we would send out our riders for twenty minute pulls, and that's it. That's it. Twenty minutes, lactate threshold or just under. Yeah. You know, seven miles, whatever they could do for twenty minutes, and then they'd come in while the other three riders were doing their twenty minutes, so they get an hour rest. And we do that for 10 hours. So by the time our guys were done the 10 hours, they were exhausted. They were yeah. just absolutely spent. They'd have get a shower, a massage, something to eat, and go to bed while the, while the next team is out. But it was, it's interesting because most people say, oh, what do you do? Keep them out there for like an hour each, or do you put out three at a time? It was like, no way, man. We're on the, hmm. on the TT bikes and just hammering as fast as they can yeah. go for 20 minutes. Did you experiment with that formula, or was that? Oh, yeah. A, okay. Yeah, no, we did a lot, and uh, George Thomas, I said, was was a real big help. Um, we had a few other guys that were advising us that said this is probably the best way to go, but you're going to burn your people out by the time you hit Missouri. By the time you hit the Mississippi, they'll be burned out, but mm. uh, we didn't. They, we were able to keep them going right through to the end. So you, that that was the strategy through the whole thing, 20-minute 20 uh-huh. pulls? Yep, right okay. from the start. Yeah, yeah, I had I had uh, Todd Straka, a friend, a, a mutual friend of ours, on the on the show the other day, and he was talking about the um, I always forget who who pioneered this, but the uh, marathon, uh, you know, uh, run a mile, walk thirty seconds, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of a similar type Galloway, of strategy. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Galloway. Yeah, yeah. I always think McMillan, but it's Galloway. <clears throat> so you've got um, I was up in I think it was Leadville. Um, so I, I took part in the workday challenge a few years back at the Chicago yes, triathlon. So I was yes, able to, uh, I was able to experience that. I, unfortunately, one of the worst wrecks of my life, I went over the handlebars yeah. just as we were finishing the bike, but I, I still managed, managed to finish the run. But the, what you're describing, I mean, it was a catered chef meal the night before the race. It was amazing conversations. You know, at my table, I had a couple of, um, you know, I think I had the CEO of Workday at my table. I mean, it is everything that you describe in terms of it, it's just it adds such a beautiful layer of texture on top of race weekend. And this was, you know, Chicago Triathlon wasn't even an Ironman, but um, yeah. Are are you? I know that you're. I think you just did a couple of these in the past year or so. You're. You mentioned you were partially retired or semi-retired. Are you just kind yeah. of picking and choosing now? The the races that you yeah so what so what happened was um, backing up a little bit in oh eight oh nine when WTC took over the CEO Ironman um, as I said I had to find other events that I thought were would be really cool and appeal to CEOs and that led me to Leadville 
which led me to a meeting in uh, Chanhassen at Lifetime offices because Lifetime had just bought Leadville at that point, I think just maybe a year into it. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to meet with the owners and see if I could piss them on allowing me, you know, 20 slots for CEOs. And anyways, and I, I met with Ken Cooper, who was uh, vice president at that time. And I'm in his office. And while I'm pitching him on the idea, Barama Crotty walks by. And Barama Crotty is the CEO and founder of Lifetime, incredibly successful guy and great athlete himself. And uh, Ken calls him in, introduces me. And, and Barama knew me because he knows a lot of the CEOs that did my events. He, you know, they kind of hang out in the same circle sort of thing. Goes, oh, yeah, I've heard of this guy. Yeah. And um, it was funny. I'll never forget it. Brahm said, uh, he said, I'm a pretty fit guy. Go ahead, punch me in the stomach as hard as you want. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, that's how Houdini died, and, which I don't think he understood that reference, but, but it is what killed Houdini. Mm. Anyways, and I said, well, if we have a punch in the stomach contest, then you're in. I said, but you got to do one of my CEO events. And he, he walked on his way out of Ken's office. Again, one of these amazing moments that you'll never forget. He turned to Ken. He says, I like this guy. Buy his company. Wow, look at that. <laughs> and, that's how, and that's how it took two years from that point, sure. but that's how CEO challenges. That's how I sold to Lifetime Fitness. And wow. then I ran the CEO challenge concept for Lifetime for five years, um, 2012 to 2017. And, and that's when we did Chicago because Lifetime owns Chicago. We did South Beach Triathlon. We did New York City Triathlon, Leadville, of course. We did some really cool yeah. events with, uh, and, and it was very successful. But while I was with Lifetime, I also ran the uh, CEO Endurance World Championships at a place called Blackberry Farm in Tennessee. Number one rated resort in North America. Mm. It's unbelievable. Mm. And uh, it was for, for television. So we have a TV of the first two years. And uh, Simon Lessing was our host again. And, and as I say, I collected the best of the best of the best CEOs from around the world flew in and we did six events over three days and we really put them through the paces, man. We made them hurt. And, uh, and that, that's, you know, while with lifetime and that was probably the, I'd have to say the coolest event we've ever done or I've ever done. So yeah. what, what year that was that? Was that would have been uh, 12 and 13, okay. 2012 and 13 when I just joined, when lifetime just took over. Iron Man, and then and then we combined with Spartan Race with Joe Decina yep. at his farm in um, Vermont. Vermont. Yep. We did a couple of years up there with Spartan Race at his World Championships at Killington, and and uh, I mean I could I could do a separate podcast just on Joe Decina alone yeah. and the crazy antics that I've <laughs> been involved with him in over the years. He did my first ever CEO Iron Man Challenge in two thousand one in Lake Placid. Yeah, I remember uh, the story about this one. Yeah, please please do tell. He, uh, I mean, just an Ironman for, for Joe is not enough. That's yeah. like anybody can do that. He did the Vermont 100-mile uh, running race, trail race the Sunday before. And then that Wednesday, Thursday, he did the Badwater 135. Jeez. And then he went to a wedding in Connecticut on Saturday and then showed up, drove all night, showed up uh, early Sunday morning, about 5 o'clock in the morning to do uh, Ironman Lake Placid. Yeah. And, uh, and I was saying to him, no friggin' way. You, can't, you have to be here the night before. You got to rack your bike. Yeah. You, and no way I'm letting you in. And then he told me what he'd done that week. I said, dude, I got I to gotta meet you. This is ridiculous. Yeah. I'll meet you at 4 o'clock. Yeah, this is nuts. <laughs> I didn't know that he had done Badwater. Um, yeah. 
the crazy uh-huh. thing with Joe is you would never know by looking at Joe that he is no. the the type no. of machine that he is. No, he he looks like a, a like a marine or something, right? Yeah. He looks like an ex marine type guy. He doesn't look like a incredible what you would define yeah. as an endurance athlete. But I, you know, I was at his farm a couple times, and he said, "Let's go for a run," and we'd run up the mountain behind his house. And he'd say, stop. He goes, stop here for a minute. I'm going, why? I mean, it was easy. I could outrun him easily. I'm like, I'm not even winded. Well, here's like two 20-pound kettlebells yeah. that he had buried in the forest. He'd pick <laughs> these up. Now let's run. No, and then he was gone. I was like, drag, <laughs> drag on my arms. And I barely made it up the hill. He's going, what took you? I was like, okay, yeah. well, that's Joe. Yeah. Didn't he uh, like email or call ahead and ask someone to pick out a pair of shoes for him? to do the run so yeah what happened was his feet um at badwater grew like two sizes too big uh, and so he bought a brand new pair of uh, shoes running shoes and he had my wife run around for a mile uh, in his shoes while he was on the bike to try to break them in which <laughs> is the stupidest thing i've ever i mean that's <laughs> <laughs> First of all, you know, her size eight woman's feet is not going to break in a size 12. Anyway, that he, right. we said, sure, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, and we'll get your pickle juice ready for you, too. That's, he did yeah. the whole race on pickle juice. Oh, geez. <laughs> uh, that's Joe. That's Joe. That's yeah, Joe. he's, he's going to be coming on here in the next few weeks. So I'll uh, uh, yeah, don't miss I'll, that one. Oh, man. Yeah, he is, he is just such a character. There's so many great characters in, our, in, in, this, in this industry. So Joe is just yeah. one of many. Um, I, I met him in China years ago and, um, he couldn't sleep. And so like most people would throw on a movie and, uh, you know, so I was like, Oh, what'd you end up doing? We were having breakfast and I mean, he looked great. He didn't look tired. And he's like, yeah. yeah, I couldn't sleep all night. I'm like, well, what'd you end up doing? And he did like 1200 burpees. Burpees. I was going to guess burpees. He yeah. said the same thing. He stayed at my house here. Um, uh, we were doing some different podcasts and video stuff and, and, uh, he stayed at my house and. I got up at six o'clock and there he was on the front lawn doing a thousand burpees. Yeah. Why not? It's unbelievable. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. The guy is an absolute machine, but, um, so I'll ask you the same kind of question. I mean, basically you, you know, uh, you were a CEO at the time you were, you kept up an extremely high level of fitness. Um, you are at the retirement age. You gave your high school years earlier. So you're not a, you're no spring chicken at this point. How have you been able to, um, kind of keep, keep the machine running in, in top, top performance, basically, you know, injury, not free, but you know, enough. It hasn't been easy. Uh, you know, through my thirties, I had a lot of back issues running, and the more I ran, the more it hurt. I was still doing well. I was still very competitive, but just wasn't enjoying it anymore. So that's when I, I, I moved over to triathlon, thinking mm-hmm. that, oh, swimming and biking would give my back a break. And it worked. I mean, absolutely, the back issues went away. Yeah. But then I discovered my love of cycling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that really helped me. The fact that I wasn't running six days a week, I was running three and biking three and then a swim here and there. And then uh, I got into Nordic ski racing in the 90s Mm. and uh skate skiing and i became very competitive at that and did a lot of uh nordic um racing mostly skate and i found that was just so easy on the body but at the same time an incredible workout i mean you work every single muscle pretty much and so that really saved me so in the winter times i would take uh, i wouldn't run so much i just i would mostly nordic ski or roller ski uh where i could and um and so that, that really helped me through that stage. But, you know, now I'm 
in my early 60s, be 64 on Monday. And uh, happy birthday. Thank you. The knees are starting to go a little bit, having some knee issues. Uh, but that's really it. I, I try to stretch throughout the day as much as I can. Um, you a big massage guy? No, no, never have been. You know, only for injuries. I don't do it preventative, which I yep. probably should, but I just haven't found it made that much of a difference yep. to me, honestly. Um, Supplements? I, my, my mileage now, no, no, I don't do vitamin D, that's it. But yep. uh, okay. I don't take supplements. I just keep my mileage down to about 20 miles a week running. And I find I'm still competitive. I, I won the um, USA Duathlon World qualifier a few years ago, went to the world championships, finished seventh overall. I mean, uh, in, in my age group, so I, I can still be competitive, but I'm only putting in eight yeah. hours a week, uh, biking a hundred miles a week during the summer and running 20 miles. And, okay. uh, and that, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, now I'm going on memory. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, 50 years of running. Uh, I used to say, you know, like it's six minute miles. I can just run from memory. Now it's unfortunately seven minute miles. I can do from memory. Yeah. Uh, pretty soon it'll be eight minute miles from memory, but, uh, I, I think just 50 years of being fit and yeah. keeping my weight under control, um, has, has really helped. No big lags, no taking a year or two off or no, yeah. no. I matter of fact, I've never, uh, yeah, I've never taken a year off. Um, some years, you know, obviously the year I did Ironman Canada 2001, so that year, you know, I, I was training 12 hours a week, which for me was a huge increase. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but very consistent, seven, seven days a week, never missing. So, but that was, uh, that, that was the most I've probably ever trained, honestly, since my university days when I would run seven, seven days a week. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, you've done a great job because you were supposed to be, I think you were scheduled to be at the, um, um, the duathlon championships around this time uh, had it not been uh, for COVID, correct? Yeah. Uh, about three weeks ago, the USA duathlon championships and world team qualifier was scheduled for Lake Havasu, Arizona. Mm. And, um, I went to my coaches, Simon Lessing and Darren DeRook. I said, okay, it's August 1st. I said, by October 1st, I want to be ready. And so they wrote, started writing me programs again. And I got really fast on the bike once again. I mean, where I could average 21 miles an hour for a two-hour ride pretty mm -hmm. comfortably. And the running started to come in. I was starting to do intervals under six minutes again. So it was like, oh, man, I'm going to go kick some old man ass here. This is <laughs> great. <laughs> and then it got canceled two weeks before due to COVID. It was like, uh, damn. Oh, man. So uh, then, uh, yeah, there, there goes my A race for the year. Done. So, but I was... Uh, I just enjoyed the journey. I enjoy the, I enjoy having a goal in a race and then I enjoy the journey of getting ready for it. And, you know, Boulder coaching, those guys are geniuses. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I, as you asked before, do I do supplements or do massage? No, but I firmly believe in coaching. I've been mm. racing mm. competitively for 50 years. You'd think I'd have it all figured out myself, but I find if a coach writes me out a program, yeah. then I'm going to do it. If it's up to me to fit a workout in, you know, I'll do it and I'll go through the motions. But if I have to meet Darren's group at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday and do, you know, eight miles of intervals, uh, you know, I'm going to work three times as hard as I would uh, on my own. So coaching, yeah. I, I, I can't, you know, can't stress enough how important coaching is if you want to be a competitive age grouper. Got it. Well, that's a great tip. All right. Well, that that's actually a perfect lead in. I feel like we could...
sit here and swap Iron Man stories all day from you. Um, it has been phenomenal, but it is time right now for the 10 question dash. So here's how this works is I'm going to ask you 10 questions. Shout out the first answer that comes to mind. No take backs, no crossing your fingers, no lying, no fibbing. All right. You ready? I think so. All right, we'll go. Well, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt too bad. All right. So next race, two wheels or two feet? Two feet. Two feet. Trail or road? Trail. Trail. Good for you. Okay. Winter, spring, summer, or fall? What's your favorite? Fall. I'll give you a ding for that one. Okay. Uh, worst running or riding experience? Uh, breaking bones, falling on my off my bicycle. Oof. Never a good one. Latrina uh, helped the pelvis. That was bad. Anyway. Favorite race? Uh, Ironman Canada. Ironman Canada. Very good. Uh, are you a music guy when you li- when you run? Do you listen to... Uh... Not usually. Uh, when I skate ski, yes. Running, okay. no. Okay, so this still applies. Uh, what's your and... home stretch song or band? What gets you across the finish line? What's your go-to? Uh, pre-1975 Genesis with Peter Gabriel. Yeah, okay, there you go. Most, and, and I've got access to Shauna on this next question, so she'll tell me the truth. What Uh-oh. is the most embarrassing band or artist in your playlist? <laughs> you got any ABBA in there? No, no Nickelback, none of that crap. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a good enough answer. Yeah, okay. Uh, favorite training partner, human or animal? Uh, human. Human, very good. Race superstitions, heck yeah, or hogwash? You superstitious uh, hogwash. guy? Hogwash, I agree. Uh, final question, Ted. Uh, what is the secret? Uh, rotate your shoes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. I wish I'd known that in university, man. I would have saved myself so many injuries. Oh, man. There's a running shoes going and rotate them all the time. That's the key to life. Well, that, that works for me. So uh, that has been... That has been a great one. Uh, I like that last one. Ted, it has been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate your time. Uh, I'm sure our listeners have loved taking some walks down memory lane around the Ironman uh, North America expansion, CEO challenges, and some other stuff. So um, any parting words to leave our listeners with? Um, Yeah, I run a company now called Achieve Racing. Um, And so check that out at AchieveRacing.com. We put on endurance events for executives and very select only four or five races a year because i'm supposed to be retired but i still have a passion for this stuff so if you're an executive and you want the ceo ironman experience achieve racing.com achieve racing.com awesome we'll definitely go check that out ted it has been a pleasure i appreciate it i appreciate you it's good seeing you again i know we're just a couple miles away from each other right now but i appreciate you coming on virtually to keep you and your family safe uh that's it let's let's go out and mountain bike together once you're all healed up let's do it yeah i'm dealing with a little arm issue right now so hopefully it's not too serious doesn't require any surgery but i'll i'll hopefully know tomorrow so i'll keep you posted on that thanks a lot troy thanks so much for this i really appreciated it and you did a fantastic job well likewise right back at you all right all right ted thank you buddy all the best all right 
That is the show, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Ted Kennedy for sitting down and sharing an hour with us. I'm going to ask a special favor here. We are building this show and channel quite literally from scratch. So if you can take a moment and follow us on your chosen socials, we are at Faster Forward Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. So if you would be so kind, it really does help us grow and your support is much appreciated. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with your podcast-loving friends. Give the show a like or rating and review, depending on the platform you're listening on. And let us know in the comments what you thought, or if you have a guest that you'd like to hear on the show, drop us a note there, or you can email me directly at troy at fasterforwardshow.com. And as always, until next time, keep moving faster forward, everybody.